We bow humbly in your presence, and it's with anticipation that we take our Bibles now to receive from you. Will you teach us, please, Lord? Encourage our hearts, strengthen us. Father, help us to be willing to let the sword of your word cut within and the mirror of your word reflect what is reality. Father, thank you for your grace that saved us that we've been reflecting upon, and then thank you for that same grace that is able to convict us of sin and teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly pleasures and to live self-controlled and upright lives in this present age. We give ourselves to your word, Lord, and want to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit and go from here with a determined heart made able by your sustaining Holy Spirit to walk in the discipline of obedience. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it was um, in the coldest part of the winter of 1973, I was still 12 years old, when my father resigned the Bible church where he pastored in the suburbs of South Chicago. We moved about two and a half hour drive away to a small town America rural feeling of Vicksburg, Michigan. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but... I had never moved before, and it meant a new school, a new, total new social dynamic of the suburbs of South Chicago and the integration of the school there to the good old country boy school in Michigan to actually a bigger school. I remember that last half of my eighth grade year when we moved right in the middle of the year, how difficult that was. I didn't tell my mom, but I didn't even eat my lunch. I was too nervous in my stomach. It took a while to make new friends, and I didn't know the ropes, and I didn't know the flow of things. Do you know that feeling? Do you know that feeling of dramatic change from the environment of comfort and knowing what's going on in your world to moving out to where you're not sure what's happening exactly? I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 31 this morning as we continue our series in the life of Jacob as we've encountered him in this great book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. And we want to try to lop off chapter 31 today. These are stories that are taking place. If you've been reading ahead, you know what's happening. The time has come in our story for Jacob to leave. He's going to move. It's not easy. There's a lot of changes that take place in a move. It's a time somewhat of insecurity and and some difficulty. I want to read our story. Before we read, though, let me say that when I look back now upon my eighth grade year and that big move from South Chicago to rural Michigan, I really thank the Lord for that move. You know, it wasn't so easy at the time. And there were many adjustments to be made. But now I can look back and I can see that God used that move in my life to shape me and to mold me and to to do some foundational work in our little church there and in that community to bring me through my teenage years in just the way he wanted to to bring me. You're going to see with Jacob that the time has come to move. And though it's not an easy move that it's God's will in his life, and if he doesn't move, 
He will never be everything that God wants him to be. Let's read the story. I'll make a few comments. If you were here last week, you know that we had that strange passage of Scripture where Laban, that's Jacob's father-in-law, if you've not been tracking along, uh, Jacob has married two of his daughters. That's another story, and you know it well. If not, read backwards. But he's now married to two of his daughters, remember, seven years for one, seven years of labor for the other. And now six years has passed where he's been working for Laban with this arrangement that his father-in-law, who, and understand this, that Laban is pretty much a scoundrel. He never saw a penny that he didn't want to pinch till it squealed. He loved money. He manipulated and maneuvered the people around him for personal gain. And when they made that deal that we talked about last week, where Jacob, who had been managing his herds of goats, sheep, and cattle for 14 years now, Jacob says to him, I want to leave and go back home to my country, to my father. Laban says, no, 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 stay here, continue to work for me, knowing that God had indeed blessed him because of Jacob. We talked about how that's even true today. We talked about that last week, didn't we? How as righteous people and God's people, sometimes our unsaved pagan bosses, companies, benefit because of the blessing of God upon us. And that's the kind of employer, employee we want to be. Where God blesses the people around us because of us. That's what was happening with Jacob. Laban loved the deal that Jacob came up with. Jacob said, tell you what, all the spotted, speckled, striped sheep, cattle, goats, I'll keep them. Laban, thinking that wasn't very many and that was the weaker strain, said, yes, go ahead and do that. And then we'll see as we reread the first part of chapter 31 that we read last week, at the end, we see that God turned it to Jacob's advantage and for six years... God took all of wicked Laban's wealth and transferred it over on to Jacob. You see, God had made a promise to Jacob's great-grandfather, not great-grandfather, grandfather Abraham, that he would bless him. And that promise was being fulfilled through his father Isaac. And now Jacob, Jacob now has 11 sons and one daughter with four wives. And that was quite a story to get through all that. And now it's time to move. It's time to enter into the next phase of God's blessing. We need to move along this morning. Let me read the story. We'll draw some application for our lives that I trust will be very helpful to you as we see what happens now in Jacob's story. Chapter 31, Jacob has tremendously increased in wealth. In fact, let's pick up the last verse of chapter 30. I'm reading out of the NIV Follow along in your copy of God's word. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous, that's Jacob, and came to own large flocks and maidservants and menservants and camels and donkeys. And Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. So after this six years, Laban's sons, Jacob's brother-in-laws, are realizing that their inheritance is diminishing as Jacob is increasing in wealth. It's all a legitimate deal. It's all because of the blessing of God, as we'll read here in a minute. But they're starting to get upset. They're jealous. They're angry. Not only that, Laban himself is getting upset. Look at verse 2. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been. And then the Lord said to Jacob... Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. 
You'll recall that 20 years before, when he had left home, fearful of his older brother Esau, who was going to murder him, next message, we're going to encounter Esau again as the brothers reunite. But he had left home for his uncle Laban's 70-year-old guy looking for a wife. And he had had that midnight encounter with God at Bethel where he had set up the monument. And that was where we hear this Jacob's ladder to the stairway, the vision of the angels. And God had transferred the promise from Abraham to Isaac down to Jacob. And he said, I will be with you. Verse 4, so Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah, his two wives, to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He wanted to talk to them in private. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. He recognizes God's hand in everything Jacob does now. You know that I've worked for your father with all of my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said... The speckled ones will be your wages. That's Laban. Laban would say, the speckled sheep will be your wages. Then all the flocks gave birth to the speckled young. And if he said, the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in that dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see all the male goats mating with the flock that are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. And I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar. That's that midnight encounter when Jacob had his spiritual awakening, and where you made a vow to me, now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Interesting, isn't it, that we had all that rigmarole last week of the, the poplar and the almond branches, and he's stripping the bark, and he's putting it in the watering trough, and he's trying to get the animals to breed speckled spotted, and we don't really know what that was all about. We don't know if it was just creative ingenuity, or if it was something God told him to do, or if it was superstitious. But now the angel of the Lord, Jacob acknowledges clearly that the angel of the Lord told him, look, I'm the one who has allowed Laban's riches to be transferred over to you. And 10 different times, his father-in-law would come and try to schnooker him and say, oh, you know, the deal we really made was that the striped ones are going to be mine and not yours. And so Jacob would just concede and say, okay, the striped ones are yours. That wasn't the deal at all. Laban was a cheat. But then God would change and all the, the sheep and the goats would drop their young and they would all come out striped. And Jacob got to keep, or however it was, they would get it. I said that backwards, but they would be spotted and speckled and none of them were streaked anymore. So then Laban would see that they were spotted and speckled. So then he would go back to Jacob and he'd say, no, 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 no. The deal is all the spotted and speckled ones are mine, not the striped ones. And Jacob would say, okay. And then God would move and, and Jacob just became wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. And he acknowledged that it was right from God. And God had promised he was going to bless him. And he'll bless everybody that blesses him. So now it's time to go. He's got bad attitudes all around him. He doesn't know what to do. You'll remember that in chapter 30, verse 25, six years before, he had gone to his father-in-law and said, I want to go. I want to go back to my father's land. And And Laban had talked him out of it. No, no, no. Don't take my daughters. Don't go. Work for me. That's when they had made that arrangement. Now it's all soured. He doesn't like it. 
So he's got Rachel and Leah out in the field and he's just given them this speech about how God has blessed them and given all their father's wealth to him. Then they reply, verse 14, Then Rachel and Leah replied, Do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. You recognize for the first time in our passage that wife Leah, she was the first one. She was the less becoming one with the weak eyes. Remember what it said? And, and Jacob had worked for seven years. And, and it made Laban wealthy for a dowry. He didn't have anything when he showed up. So he'd worked for seven years to marry his daughter, Rachel, that he loved. And Laban had schnookered him and he had married Leah first. And then he worked seven more years for Rachel. These girls had entered into a, a competition for the love of Jacob. And kind of a, a baby competition. Having babies for their husband so that, or at least trying, Rachel tried. She finally had Joseph. And... That's why all the, the maidservants started having babies, because they wanted the attention and love of their, of their husband, Jacob. And they've disagreed on everything, and they can't stand each other, but then out here in the field, talking to Jacob, they have finally agreed on one thing, that their father's a scoundrel, and that their father has just used them with their husband, Jacob, to get wealthy. And that everything Jacob has done is only wealthy, has only empowered and strengthened Laban's standing, but that God then has given Laban's wealth over to Jacob. So they're in agreement. And they say, whatever God's put in your heart to do, you do it. Husbands, don't you love that when your wife agrees with you? That's a great moment, isn't it? Honey, here's what we're going to do. Babe, whatever you think, that's what I think. Yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. Right there it is in the Bible. See that? All right. So they said, whatever God has told you, do it. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on the camels and he drove all his livestock ahead of him along with all the goods he had accumulated in Paddan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. And when Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all that he had, and crossing the river, he headed for the hill country of Gilead. So Jacob is still under the thumb of Laban. He is still intimidated by Laban. He wants to avoid the conflict. And so Laban goes to oversee the shearing of sheep. This is a big deal, a lot of hoopla far away in the country. He gets his people rounded up, all of his herds and his flocks, and off they go. All right? On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob, verse 20 to 23, Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Then God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream at night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him, and Laban and his relatives camped there too. And then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? You've deceived me, and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could? And I think this is, this is a big line. I don't think he means this at all, but he's posturing. He says, so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of tambourines and harps. You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. 
We already saw what his daughters thought about him. You have done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. But last night, the God of your father said to me, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you long to return to your father's house. And now he gets really mad and he says, But why did you steal my God's little G? You see, we read just a minute ago, unbeknownst to Jacob, that his beloved wife Rachel had snuck into her father's house and stole his little household gods. We know they're kind of little because she hides them in her backpack. We don't know why she stole these gods. Laban was a pagan, no doubt. Laban was polytheistic. He worshipped many gods. Perhaps Rachel at this point was still uh, worshipped multiple gods. Maybe trying to understand Jacob and, and what he taught her about his, the God of his father Abraham. It could be she wanted her father's household gods for good luck. It, it could be that she wanted to be mean to her father, that he loved him. I don't know. There is some evidence in ancient writing that the person through whom the household gods were passed on through the family line, that they were the ones who held deed to the family property. There's some suggestion that perhaps Rachel felt like since uh, her father had not really loved her genuinely and had only used her to try to benefit himself through her husband Jacob, that if she had these little gods, that someday after her father was deceased, she might be able to lay claim to the home ranch. I don't know. We don't know. But Laban gets really fired up here. So he he acts like he's really upset that they left, and he was, and perhaps he was even going to kill Jacob when he found him. He went for seven days. He catches up to him. They're in the high country of Gilead. Jacob and his family camped out. Laban catches up to him. They can't go anywhere, so they camp right next to him. And then the next morning's when he confronted Jacob. Why'd you leave? All right. Jacob's going to respond in a minute, but it, for a while, Laban stomps and snorts around the camp looking for these household gods. Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force, verse 31. But if you find anyone who has your gods, he shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether there is anything of yours here with me. And if so, take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. So Jacob says right to Laban's face, I was worried about what you would say to me and I thought you would keep my wives if I tried to go back to my father. He's still intimidated by his father-in-law, Jacob is. So that's why he snuck off. But then he has no idea that anybody has the gods. And he says, find them and kill them if they have it. Nobody in my camp has them. Comes pretty close to losing his beloved wife, Rachel. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maidservants. But he found nothing. After he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent, but found nothing. Rachel said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm going to switch to the King James. And she says to him, Because I am experiencing what is the custom of all women. All right. So he searched, but he could not find the household gods. And he didn't want to mess with Rachel at that point. Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. Okay, so Laban's been angry. He's gotten in Jacob's face. Why'd you take off without my permission? You sneak out of here. You stole my household gods. He searches all the tents. Rachel hides them. Jacob doesn't even know it. It's just kind of a weird occurrence. And now Jacob is getting steamed up. 
is like, okay, I've had enough. I've had enough of you bowling around my camp here. And Jacob stands up to Laban and he says, he was angry, verse 36, and he took Laban to task. Listen, this is getting to the heart of our message and we'll have to get to it pretty quickly because of the clock today. Sooner or later, if you're going to go on for God, you're going to have to take Laban to task. You keep that in mind. What is my crime? He asked Laban. What sin have I committed that you hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it in here in front of your relatives and mine and let them judge between the two of us. Of course, he found nothing. I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flock. He said, I have done nothing to take advantage of you. I have only blessed you. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I personally bore the loss myself. And you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. Laban was a hard taskmaster. Things were stolen. Jacob had to pay for it, whether he was guilty or not. And this was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night. And sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for 20 years that I was in your household. I worked for you for 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks. And you changed my wages 10 times. And if the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands. And last night he rebuked you. Laban answered Jacob, the women are my daughters, the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine or about the children that they have born? Come now, let's make a covenant. And basically at this point, you can just read the rest of the chapter on your own. Laban is going to just acknowledge that he's lost with Jacob. It's time for them to part ways. They're going to make a covenant that they're not going to bother each other. They build a pillar there. Jacob worships the God of his father Abraham. Laban brings in and in due the name of his, the God of his father, Nahor, and the false gods. And they basically agree, you go your way, I'll go my way. And then it ends with early the next morning, verse 55, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. And then he left and returned home. And we never hear of Laban again or his sons in the Bible. That's it. I don't know if Laban ever saw his daughters, Leah and Rachel again, or his grandsons It's possible that he saw some of them. Jacob knows the time had come for him to leave. I want to draw out a few truths for us to strengthen us in our walk with the Lord before we turn to the waters of baptism to conclude our service. Let me just mention these things briefly. I think that there's some important instruction and insight as to making major decisions in our lives I'm talking about major moves, major life-changing decisions. Can I just rattle off for you, please, four of these principles? Number one, I want you to see that when you make a life-changing decision, it will be, number one, the desire of your heart. I'm talking about walking with God. I'm talking about knowing God's will. I'm talking about making wise choices. I'm talking about ending up where God wants you to be. And Jacob, in verse 25 of chapter 30, notice that it says, Send me on my way. He desired to go home. Jacob wanted to go home to his father. Twenty years was enough. It was time to bring it to an end. The first thing that you'll know when you're making a life-changing decision is God begins to work in your heart. He puts in your heart 
that this is a desire, this is where I want you. The desire of his heart. Secondly, did you notice the circumstances of his life? The circumstances of his life. Chapter 31, verses 1 and 2. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, and then Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was, his brother-in-laws and his father-in-law had really gotten ugly. Things had really changed. For Jacob to make this life-changing move, for Jacob to make this big move with his family, number one, it was the desire of his heart. Number two, the circumstances of his life were pointing that direction. It is time to go. Maybe you've experienced that. But notice in verse 3 of chapter 31 that the Lord clearly communicated to him it was time to go. Jacob was moving and making this life-changing move out of obedience to God's word. It was the desire of his heart. It was the circumstances of his life. It was obedience to God's word. And finally, and I like this, and I kind of referenced it earlier, when he called his wives out in the field and speaks to them, they understood what he was saying, they agreed with him, and they concluded this was the right time and this was the right thing, and off they went. Fourthly, he had the support of his wives. You have a major decision to make in your life. You have a sense that God might be moving you. You have an idea that there's something that you have to do. If those four things aren't lining up, you better wait on the Lord to make himself clear. Now, once in a while, God will get us where we want, and it's not where we want to go. Once in a while, God will do things. Uh, maybe big things happen. You end up, your house burns down and this happens or whatever. God does things that you never thought were going to happen. And bam, bang, boom. And there you are. And then you look back sometime later, months or years later, and you say, now I know what God was doing. And you connect the dots and you realize, well, God did get us where he wanted. I didn't really want to come here, but here we are. Sometimes husbands and wives and families, you have big decisions to make and it's difficult. There's some insight from Jacob's life right there. What's the desire of your heart? What is God putting in your heart? Do you desire the things that God desires? And I'm talking about when you're walking in godliness and prayerfulness. The desire of your heart. The circumstances of your life. What are they saying? What's going on? What's your focus been upon? What are you coming home every night and griping to your wife about every night? You can't believe what's happening. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. Pay attention to the circumstances of your life. All that time be in the word of God so that we can hear the voice of God. And finally, our husband and wife in agreement. I'll tell you, Janet and I, not very often, but on occasion, will have an occurrence where an opportunity or something comes up that can be big and life-changing. It wasn't that long ago we experienced probably the biggest one of our whole lives. Went home, talked to Janet, prayed, evaluated the circumstances of our lives, examined the desires of my heart, looked at my wife and said, should we? And she said, no, this is absolutely not the thing to do. That totally lined up with my spirit. We were in agreement totally at peace with a major potential life-changing decision. Have you been there? Now, husbands, listen to me. It's important to listen to your wife. They have insight. Sometimes I think it's intuitive and instinctive. They can't even say why they think it. But that's what you should do. 
Oh, that's when you need wisdom. But wives, listen to me. When you have a godly husband and you have a husband who's walking with the Lord and God has put desires in his heart and and you can sense it and you know that God has put a desire in his heart, he's walking with the Lord, he has listening ears and you're evaluating the circumstances, you better line up with your husband, encourage him, work together. Don't be an anchor to your husband, be a helpmate. But so important for husbands and wives to agree on these major, major decisions. That's a little bit of insight on decision making. As we conclude, I want to share what is really on my heart for the heart of the message. And it is this. It's not hard to get. So I'm going to go right to the point. But it is this. For Jacob to experience the blessing of God, he had to process those decision making points, the desire of his heart, so forth. His wives were in agreement, but the day came for him to enter in to the blessing of Canaan and where God wanted him, he had to leave Laban. For 20 years, Laban had been an anchor around his neck. Now God had used Laban to enrich Jacob. And so to Jacob, as he left, number one, Laban is a person. He's a man. He was his father-in-law. He'll never forget him as long as he lives. And sometimes for us to get where God wants us to go, there are people in our lives that we've got to cut off the relationship. It's gone on long enough. Parentheses. If you're married, that's not one of them. (laughs) You might be married to Laban, and if you are, you don't get to cut off that relationship. God has other things he's doing in your life. But don't you see, for Jacob to get to Canaan, he had to quit messing around with Laban. And he had to stand up to his father-in-law and he said, Enough of Laban! And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, don't turn there. It says this. It says that we are to come out from among them. Quoting from the Old Testament, the Apostle Paul gives instruction to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 6, beginning with verse 14. He says, to come out from among them, what fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship do the sons of God have with Belial, Satan? Who do you think you are called out to be holy, called out to be the church, fellowshipping with ungodly in relationship with them, asking God to bless you? It doesn't work. And you've got to separate yourself. There is a such thing as a doctrine of separation. There is a such thing of getting to where God can bless you by terminating relationships. And some of you can identify the draining relationships of the ungodly in your life. And because of them, it is affecting your thought life. It is affecting the desires of your heart. And Jacob, to move on for the blessing of God, had to terminate his relationship with Laban, a person. Secondly, he had to terminate his relationship with Laban as a place. I'm not going to live here anymore. I am moving out of here. There are places that you cannot go if you're going to be in the blessing of God. And thirdly, for Laban, in Jacob's mind, Laban represented the past. I think that all of his life, he talked about the Laban years. There's a time in my life, 20 years, that I lived with Laban. He's a person. He's a place. And he's in my past. And I'm not going to live in the past anymore. You know what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians? In chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. 
said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on towards the prize, towards the mark, the calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to forget the past. Some of you have got to cut off Laban today. You've got people that got to get out of your life. You say, why isn't God blessing me? I'll tell you why God's not blessing me. You, because you're hooked up with Laban. You're living with Laban. And Laban's been in your past. Put him in the past. And Jacob is able to move into Canaan, the land of God's promise. I hath not seen nor ear heard. Can't even imagine the things God has for you. You'll never experience it if you keep Laban in your pocket. Let's bow in prayer. Father, forgive us for how we hold on to our Labans. Give us the discernment and the wisdom to know how to terminate ungodly relationships in an appropriate manner, but with great courage and conviction. Give us the ability, like Jacob, Jacob, to look at Laban in the face and say, you might have been blessed because of me, but you've done nothing but cheat me ten times, and it's over. Father, help us to get out of Laban's territory. Help us to keep Laban in the past, to stop living in the old ways. You've called us to a new life. You've promised that those in Christ are new creations and that you are making all things new, and yet we love the old, Lord. And like the old Proverbs, we, re- we love to return to our vomit. Forgive us for holding on to the Labans in our lives. And through your Holy Spirit now, Work in our lives and show us how to live consecrated, committed, godly lives in Christ Jesus. And I help us to identify through spiritual eyes the people and the places and the things of the past that have to go. In Jesus' name we pray.